episode 107, Telling Stories. Welcome to Gratitude Geek, the relationship marketing podcast, helping micropreneurs find your micro-influencer magic. I'm your host, Candice Rodardi, and this week I'm joined by Allison Verhalen. Allison is a content marketer and SEO strategist who is building a business around doing what she loves, telling stories. Welcome, Allison. Thank you so much for having me. It's going to be a good conversation. You're in Chicago. I'm just up the coast from you on the other side. Uh, So I don't understand why there, do you know why there is not a ferry from Chicago to Michigan? No, I don't. That would, that would make a lot of sense. It would. The ferries go to Wisconsin. It makes no sense that they don't go to Chicago. It would be so easy just to hop on the ferry, come over to Michigan or hop on the ferry, go over to Chicago. But you know what? If women ran the world, if women ran the world, (laughs) it would make more sense, right? All right. So Tell us your unique story. How'd you get to where you are? Yeah. So I have always loved writing, was always writing stories as a kid, was told that was not a viable career. That was a hobby. So I kind of figured, well, maybe if I can't make a living writing books, maybe I can make a living making books. So I majored in English and psychology. I always like to say that was the perfect degree for content marketing. I had no idea what content marketing was. I was going to try to work in publishing. Well, I graduated in 2009, right after the job market crashed. So there were no jobs to be had in publishing or really anywhere else. So, you know, I was a receptionist. I was in customer service. They were jobs. They were not careers. Found myself between jobs at one point. And my roommate at the time, her dad, who was an attorney, was awesome and offered to give me stuff to do around his office until I got back on my feet. And one of the things he needed was someone to write blog posts for his law firm. And he knew I had a strong writing background. So he offered me the gig and I was more than happy to get paid to write because that was the dream. So I started writing blog posts for him and then for an associate of his and then for some friends of mine, did eventually get another day job, but I kept writing on the side and the writing just kept growing to the point where I could not do both anymore. So I quit the day job about seven years ago now, and I've been doing the writing thing full time ever since. All right. For those listeners who have absolutely no idea what content marketing is, Short synopsis, what is content marketing? Any content that you create to market your business. So that is everything you put on your website, everything you put on social media, any content that you want to get out there to to spread the word about your business is content marketing. So something that I always tell people is that you need to tell stories and that's what you, that's what content marketing is. It's telling stories. So let's talk about that. Why is it, why is telling stories important, especially when you're trying to sell your business or sell your business idea or your business product? Yeah, because humans are primed to engage with stories and to remember stories. So you can list all the facts and statistics in the world, and they might be true and be very good reasons as to why people should work with you. They're not going to remember those because we're just not programmed that way. But if you tell it in a story, case studies are a great example of this, of how you helped a customer and how the results that they saw afterwards and how you made their lives better. If you can tell that in a story, they're going to be much more likely to A, continue reading the content because on average, people only spend a few seconds reading content. So if you want to grab them for longer than the introduction, you have to tell a story. 
And then again, they're going to remember it if you actually succeed in, in writing a good, engaging story that convinces them as to why they should work with you over someone else. Storytelling, like you said, is intrinsic. It's something that humanity has been doing for tens of thousands of years. The oldest written story, you know, we have documentation of it being written down as Beowulf. And that is still studied today and it is still used as the foundation of movies and stories that are that are written today. Uh, and the other day I was watching a movie, it was in Persian. I'm not sure where it was filmed, but the, the, the language was Persian uh, in the movie. So I had to read the subtitles. The movie was called Hero. It was about a prisoner who accidentally became a hero. Well, but but I was watching this movie and, the, you know, I'm reading the subtitles because I don't understand Persian. I'm watching this. I love foreign movies, watching the sub reading the subtitles, watching the movie. It was really a well done movie. If you like foreign films, it's called Hero. Um, but it was The Merchant of Venice. The movie was The Merchant of Venice. So these themes, these themes from history are timeless. And if and so but my question is, based on those two little airy-fairy things I just threw out, threw out there. Should you be telling stories that have a memorable theme that's timeless or should you just be willy-nilly telling stories? Or what is a good storytelling strategy? Yeah, so my favorite formula, I call it the Cinderella formula. So you start off with the pain point, right? So Cinderella is in this pain point. Her father has just died. Her mom is long dead. She's stuck with her sister, her stepmother and sisters, right? So that's your, your customer's pain point. So that's what you want to focus on. And then things get even worse for her, right? Now she's a scullery maid. So this is where you talk about people, what can happen to them if they don't take action to solve that, that pain? Is, is it going to get worse? How is it going to get worse? Then you introduce the solution, which is your product or service that you're, solve, you're, you're selling for them, right? And then you paint a picture of what that looks like. And this is Cinderella at the ball, right? You are the fairy godmother. You have given her her dress and the horse and the shoes and the carriage and everything. She's at the ball. She's dancing with the prince. Life is great, right? But your customer or prospect has not taken that action yet. So you have to bring them back to that pain point. You have to bring them back to Cinderella living with her evil stepmother and stepsisters, right? And remind them that until they take that action, they're going to be back in that point, in that pain point. So I, and then I like to say, you know, unlike Cinderella, we're not going to give them that happily ever after, right? That's where your call to action comes in. That's where you tell them you have to click here or read this or do such and such in order to get yourself the happily ever after. So that's the formula that I like to use in, in my content. So the formula is pain point. What happens if you don't take action? What happens when you do take action? And call to action. Yes. I like that formula. It's pretty easy. Four steps. It's very simple and you can apply it to just about anything. Yeah. I, I've been teaching something that I learned from Daniel Pink's book, To Sell as Human, which is the Pixar pitch, which is the same kind of storytelling formula. It's actually really identical. I don't have it memorized, so I'm, I'm not going to try to go over it, but there'll be a link in the show notes to the Pixar pitch. pitch pitch as well. And the Cinderella formula will also be in the show notes. It's mom, it's uh, gratitudegeek.com episode 107, as well as links to all of Allison's social media. So you can connect with her from the show notes as well. All right. You told me in the, in the pre-show that gratitude and relationships have helped you grow your business. So tell us about that. 
Yeah. I mean, you, we can't do business without relationships, right? So it's like, I don't even know where to begin. I mean, starting with that very first client of mine who you know, I just happened to know him and he was a family member of a friend of mine and he was just willing to help me when I needed help. And I am eternally grateful for, for him and everything that he has done for me, including referring me to clients every time, you know, that second client that I got was because he referred me to him and that's someone that I'm still working for. I still get regular work from him. So, it, and then it's just all about, you know, building on that, reaching out to those people and, and demonstrating your gratitude um, on a regular basis so that they're, they're willing to keep throwing work your way and, and to keep working with you. Give us some examples of how you demonstrate gratitude. Um, Christmas, I always give at least a card. If I, I can, I like to give chocolates to all of, all of my clients, everyone I've worked with over the past year, whether you know it was last month or 11 months ago, I always like to send them a little something just to A, say thank you and, and B, remind them that I'm still around. And, and it's like my favorite thing to do because then I get like emails and text messages all day long, like, oh, thanks for the chocolate, they're so great. And it's just, it's just a really good feel good thing to do. I agree with you. I use sea salt caramels instead of chocolate because temperature, chocolate melts. But in the sure. winter, that's not that big of a deal. In the winter, it's not much of a problem, yeah. especially since most of my clients are here in Chicago. So, yeah. So, but for me, I use sea salt caramels because then they don't melt, but it's the same thing. You get all these text messages constantly. And here's the thing about when you send someone a gift, there's this thing called the law of reciprocity. So when you do something nice for someone, they feel like they need to do something nice for you. It doesn't always work tit for tat. Sometimes it's you mm -hmm. do something nice for someone and somebody else does something nice for you. Sometimes that's mm -hmm. the way the law of reciprocity works. But yeah. when you when you do something nice for someone, that not only do you create all these warm fuzzy feelings, but you know karma, karma mm -hmm. happens. So I'm a huge yeah. I'm a huge fan of giving gifts, especially when someone's a client and they have put their trust in you. Saying thank you with something tangible is really important. Um. Okay. Do you want to do you want to add anything to that? That subject. No, I think that's yeah, I, I think we pretty well covered it. Wow. Okay. Now let's get into the nitty gritty then. 2022 is here. The world has changed. Nothing is ever going to be the same again. Sorry, we can't go back in time. We're never going to make 2019 happen over again. It's not going to happen. We have to move forward. So knowing that, that we have to move forward to give us some content marketing and SEO tips for the future. I think my biggest tip is just a know your target audience, know who you're creating content for, figure out the questions they're asking around your um, your industry and create high quality content that answers those questions and consistently create content. Because if you just put up a blog post every now and then, that's not going to do a whole lot to boost your SEO or grow your readership. You have to be really intentional and really consistent about creating that content. So there's a whole lot more that goes into, uh, you know, content marketing and especially SEO. SEO can get really technical, but at the end of the day, Google is just trying to match people with the content that answers their questions. So if you're answering their questions and, and creating high quality content around that, you should be in a, in a pretty strong position. Is SEO putting Facebook posts out there or LinkedIn posts or 
SEO is search engine optimization. And there are a bunch of search engines out there, including Facebook. Actually, each social media has its own little search engine algorithm. Um, most people, when they talk about SEO, they talk about Google. Again, there's other search engines out there. There's Bang, there's DuckDuckGo, there's Yahoo. But let's face it, we're all talking about Google when we say uh, search engine optimization. Uh, Facebook, I would say, does does not fall under the umbrella of SEO. It does fall under the umbrella of content marketing because you're putting content out there. You're trying to get in front of existing customers and prospects and build that brand awareness and position yourself as an authority in your industry and you know lead prospects through that buyer journey so they'll buy from you. Okay, so a lot of people are thinking, I don't need a website anymore because there's Facebook. What are your thoughts on that? Well, if with Facebook, you don't control it, um, we've, you don't own that content. Um, if you have a website that is the only real estate online that you actually own and you can control, we saw this happen. I mean, first of all, Facebook went down, uh, what was that, two or three months ago where it was just like there was nothing. People who lived on Facebook had no way to get a hold of their their prospects. So you, I never want to be in that position. I never encourage people to be in that position where they're that vulnerable. And going back even further, several years ago, we had people who did not have websites, did not collect contact information from their customers, had built their uh, businesses on Facebook back when Facebook was either entirely free or mostly free. And then Facebook changed their algorithm. They wanted you to pay them in order to boost posts, in order to get in front of people, even people you had previously been working with. People literally lost their businesses overnight because Facebook made a business decision and changed their algorithm. That that can't happen with your with your website. When you own the content and you own the contact information of your your audience and your prospects, then you're in control. You you are not vulnerable to that kind of catastrophe. Okay, so you brought up the the idea of owning your own content, owning your own list. Do you have a suggestion? Because this is this is a real problem that real people have, especially folks that have been relying on social media for their content and don't have their own website. How do you take those Facebook fans, those Facebook likes, and turn them into a real tangible, like Mailchimp or Mail Poet or Tiny Letter list that they can then start uh, sending out emails to? And 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 is email marketing even relevant anymore? I mean, that's two yeah, different email marketing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the last one I can answer quickly that email marketing is absolutely relevant because that's the last real estate that people own themselves. You know, when they're on social media, they can, you know, cater to a certain extent. They can kind of f- figure out what kind of um, content they're going to get on social media. Uh, curate. That's the word I was looking for. They can curate their, their, uh, their social media to an extent. Um, but when you, when they give you their email address, that is like an invitation into like their last personal space online. So that there's something really powerful in that. So I absolutely think there's still value in building that email list. And again, owning that content, because if you're following them on social media, if they're following you, you don't really own that contact information, getting contact information from social media followers into your something like MailChimp or whatever your your system is, is a little bit trickier just because you can't get their uh, contact information directly from social media um, unless they make that public and a lot of people don't. So it 
you have to give them an incentive. You have to lead them back to your website. You have to have a page that promotes your newsletter and gives them a reason to sign up for your newsletter. It could be a lead magnet. It could be a checklist. It could be a free ebook. It could be some kind of content that your target audience wants that is going to make their life better in some way that gives them a reason to sign up for your newsletter. Do you, do you know off the top of your head what the most effective lead mag- magnet is to draw people away from social media and into a website? It really depends on your industry. I've seen checklists, uh, short eBooks are fairly popular, even if they're only a few pages long. Um, yeah, I, I would say that really depends on your target audience and what they're looking for and what's really going to solve their problems. What, how do you feel about video marketing? Super important. So yeah, not something that I personally do. I am all about the written word, but yeah, video is growing. Um, Google cannot yet read um, video or audio content. I did air quotes, even though this is a podcast, (laughs) you know, Google kind of reads content to index it and categorize it so it can show up in searches. Google cannot read uh, audio or visual content yet. Uh, they are working on it. I'm, I'm sure they will get there soon. But for the time being, we have all this descriptive content, all the meta tags that you can include with your audiovisual content so that, you, so that Google can categorize it. And I think a lot of people forget that Google owns YouTube. So if you have a YouTube channel and you're really optimizing those descriptions and those video titles, you're going to show up in searches. How many times have you searched how to do X, Y, Z on Google and YouTube videos pop up? That's because they're connected. So yeah, and again, we are visual creatures. There's a reason that all of the social media channels want you to do live streaming on their channel. They don't want you to import a YouTube link. They want you to do video on their channel so people can watch your video without clicking away from that social media. So yes, video is super, super important and only getting more important. So what we learned here is make some videos. If you use a video on you, if you upload a video to YouTube, you probably should also upload it to Facebook or LinkedIn or Instagram, Mm -hmm. whichever, whichever one of those social media channels is where your audience hangs out. You don't have to do it to all Mm -hmm. of them. If your audience doesn't live on LinkedIn, you don't need to worry about LinkedIn. You just need to go where your audience goes. Um, But the other thing I wanted to mention is that YouTube is smart enough to transcribe your videos for you and you can, you can copy and paste the transcription, edit it and use it as the notes in the video and that you, and Google will read that. So it's a little bit of work Mm -hmm. for you, but -hmm. if you know your way around YouTube and you can find the subtitles Mm -hmm. tab, you can find the transcription Mm -hmm. of your video. You can edit it, throw it into, throw it into an editor that does the do you have any favorites that do the, do the grammar for you that can take, you know, crappy grammar and fix it? Do you have a favorite program for that or just hire, I don't, hire someone to do it for I, you? I don't know of a program. That's actually something that is one of the services that I offer just because, yeah, we have the, this great software that can transcribe what you're talking about, but it is limited in what it can do. There are always, you know, words that get mixed up and, and people don't talk the way they write. So sometimes things you know, sound great on a podcast or in the video. And then when you're reading it, it's something completely different. And you want to, you want to clean that up a little bit. So there you have it. Hire someone like Allison or hire Allison going. Okay. Here's, here's the, here's the thing. Make the videos, just rant all you want on the video. Cause you never know what's going to hit. I have a video from eight years ago 
that still gets hits. I still get comments on it every freaking week, right? Every week, do the video, let YouTube transcribe it, hire Allison to clean up the language, put the, the transcription under the video, put the transcription on your blog with a link to the video and let Google do its work. Let Google do its work there. Okay. I, that was me on my soapbox. <laughs> what else, <laughs> what else do we need to know going forward? I mean, we, we can't do things where we used to, what do we need to know going forward? Yeah. Well, I think that was a great tip right there. Um, and yeah, repurposing content. I'm a huge fan of repurposing content. If you want to, you can create a video and put it up on YouTube and take the audio and turn it into a podcast and take the transcription from the audio and turn that into a blog post. So you've really got one piece of content that you created, but you can put it in all these different channels. And again, by transcribing the audio, that gives Google something that it can read so you can actually show up in relevant searches. So absolutely. Yeah. Content marketing really isn't that hard because you can repurpose. So how how mm -hmm. far back can you repurpose? Like, can you repurpose something that you did 10 years ago? It depends on whether it's still relevant. So I, I talk about this with my own uh, blogging all the time. I have blog posts that are about like Google's latest core algorithm update. That is not something I can repurpose from, you know, more than a few months ago because it's no longer relevant. Um, but there are a lot of blogging tips that remain relevant no matter what, and a lot of social media tips that remain relevant no matter what. So those are the kinds of things uh, we call those evergreen topics. Those are the kinds of things that you can go back and edit or and, and republish. Um, I do that frequently when I, I just don't have time to write a blog post for this week. I'll go back and dig up one of my old posts that's that's still relevant. Maybe I, I comb through to make sure that there are, you know, the links are still good. There's nothing in there that I need to update um, and then go ahead and publish it, republish it. And then it gets a new publication date. Google treats it just like a new piece of content your readers will treat it just like a new piece of content. Um, and then, yeah, if you want to, or if you have not already created a video and or a podcast around that topic, go ahead and do that. Excellent. So speaking of old content, if you've got content out there on your blog, I mean, you really can't do it with social media, but if you've got content out there on your blog that just isn't relevant anymore, should you just leave it there or should you delete it or archive it? What should you do with it? Yeah, I don't know, um, because I've seen there's been a fair amount of debate about this in the world of content marketing and SEO. A lot of people do say if your stuff is not performing, if it's older, you should go back and delete it. I don't think I've seen anything that that really hurts your SEO. Deleting it doesn't hurt your SEO. Keeping it doesn't really hurt your SEO. If you're not trying to drive traffic to it for any reason, I, it doesn't really hurt either way. Um, if you want a kind of a cleaner website that's easier to search, maybe that there can be some benefit there to cleaning up and deleting some of your older posts. Um, but yeah, I don't think I've seen any like statistics as to which way is better or not. Some people swear by deleting their old content and other people in the community swear by not deleting their old content. So maybe, you know, do some A-B testing and see what works for you. I like the idea of not having to do it because that's less work, right? It is all, a lot of work. And if there's no real benefit to doing that, then why bother? It's all, it's all about keeping things simple, 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 simple. All right. Um, you want, is there anything else you'd like to add? Anything you want to throw out there? Anything you want to promote? 
I do have a book coming out in February um, called Content Marketing Made Easy, which is what we were just talking about, the fact that content marketing is is really not that complicated. It is it is a lot of work. I don't want to lie and be like, oh, it's easy. You can write a blog post in an hour and then you're, you're, you're fine. It, it is time consuming, um, but it's not as complicated as a lot of people think it is. So that book will be coming out in February. I got a, in my inbox, I had a spam. spam. It was an offer for uh, $5. For $5, I could have two years worth of blog posts. Hmm. And I'm thinking, okay, well, two years from now, something that's relevant today isn't going to be relative anymore. But you know, it was, I think it was more blog post ideas or content ideas. What do you, mm-hmm. wh- okay, so, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about scheduling mm-hmm. out content. How far mm-hmm. out should you schedule it? How far out should you plan? Like with my, I do lunch and learns every month. I have the whole year mm-hmm. of 2022 scheduled out but it's mm-hmm. flexible. If something mm-hmm. happens in September and I need to change the topic for October, that's okay. Right. I can do that because mm-hmm. it's, it's my, it's my lunch and learns. Right. But yeah. um, so that's one thing to just know, to have a plan for the year, but with content, is that relevant? Can you do that? Or is it subject to what your business is? Yeah. So there are a few different ways you can do it. I do offer a service where I come up with blog post topics and keywords three months out which is really as far as out as I feel comfortable planning just because stuff does come up and it can be flexible. If something comes up and you need to blog about it, put that in there. Um, but yeah, that tends to be either focusing on evergreen topics and or holidays. If there's a holiday coming up uh, that you can work into your content somehow, and absolutely feel free to include that in there. Um, because again, that should be, you know, kind of evergreen, but kind of not, you know, it, it, it's not, you know, people aren't going to want to read about Valentine's Day in November, right? Um, but they'll read about Valentine's Day next year. So you can just recycle that post next year if it's still relevant. Um, so yeah, there are absolutely ways that you can. And, and most of the, the content marketers do plan out at least a month or two in advance. And recycling your content is okay. Everybody It is okay. It. Yes. Every, just <laughs> change it a little bit. Clean it up, make yeah, sure it, it doesn't have anything that's, you know, in 2019, what, you know, just, you know, make sure that it's relevant. Yeah. And go back to you, if you can, hopefully you have Google analytics so you can see which content is getting the most views. Go back to an older piece that has the most views uh, because that shows that there's already a demand for that kind of content. And then if you republish it, you can drive even more traffic to that piece of content and really boost that content's SEO and the SEO of your overall website. So when you do re- repurpose content, there is a right way and a wrong way to do it. <laughs> you just never know what's what's going to hit and what's going to miss. And sometimes you spend hours putting your heart and soul into something and it just doesn't take wing. You know, it doesn't fly mm-hmm. it, or it flies too close to the sun and it burns, which is where someone like Allison comes in handy because maybe you didn't get the SEO right. Maybe you didn't get the search terms right. You know, okay, so, so for somebody who can't afford to hire someone to help them, do you have some favorite tools for search engine optimization? Um, yes, Answer the Public is one of my favorites. Um, it is a it, it has a free version and a paid version. Um, the free version you get three searches per day, and the paid version you get unlimited searches. But you can put in any word, any search term. I usually start. Um, I I use this tool when I'm you know, don't know what to write about. And I'll put in one of my services like blogging or SEO, and it will put, pull up all of the questions 
asked for all over the internet that use that search term. So that is a great way just to get the juices flowing and see what people are asking around this particular piece of content um, around this particular topic. I, Cause I've wondered, and I use answer the public, but I've wondered this, are they actual questions that have been asked or is, are they AI generated questions? I believe they're actually questions that have actually been asked on, on the internet. Um, so yeah, I, I do always go back to my keyword research tool, which is not free. Um, it's called SERP stats. So I do do the keyword research to make sure that it is actually a viable keyword, which means it has a decent uh, search volume and not too high of a competition score. Competition score means there's a ton of content out there already using that search term and you're not going to have a chance of ranking for it. So, so for the DIYers, what are those numbers? What's a decent search score and what's a decent comp? Oh, you know, what's a not too, not too competitive. Yeah. Search volume. I, I think it really depends on what your, your goals are. I think even just a few hundred searches per month can be valuable. If, if you're just trying to grow your, your viewership, your traffic, um, and again, that's a few hundred searches per month. So if this is still a good keyword, a few months from now, you can continue growing that traffic to that uh, particular piece of content. The uh, competition score is a number from one to 100, one being there's no content out there using this keyword, it's really easy to rank for, 100 being there's a ton of content out there using this keyword, you're not gonna stand a chance of ranking for it. So. Most people, obviously you want to be below 50. Most people recommend being even lower than that. I think Serpstat recommends being below like 30, um, which is, yes, it's hard sometimes because that's really low. But if you can find that sweet spot between something that has a decent search volume and a low competition score, that's what we call a content gap. It means people are looking for answers to this question and they're not finding the answers out there. And you can sneak into that gap and and become the authority on the subject. This is a really interesting conversation. So if a term has a hundred two two or three hundred searches and it is relevant to your target audience, which is super important, you need to have your client avatar, you know, figure it out. That's so important. Absolutely. Um and it can your client avatar can be really, really narrow. My husband, yeah. the business that we started in 1999, which is why I know so much about SEO, we started selling high-end custom furniture on the internet in 1999, all right? I have a very small niche of clients for that business, super small niche. So yeah, the search terms aren't gonna be, there aren't gonna be 5,000 people searching for that term. It's gonna be 500 or less, right? right? So yeah. uh, the gap is actually probably more important than the, if you know that your target market is searching for that term, even though it doesn't mm -hmm. have a high search volume, that's important. Mm -hmm. Well, this, yeah. has been, this is a really good conversation. I'm excited. I'm excited to go look at some stats. <laughs> <laughs> I love it when I get nerd moments. All right, we need to wrap up. So um, I would love to hear your moment of gratitude. For whom or what are you most grateful? Yeah, well, like I said, I'm super grateful for that uh, first client who took a chance on me and, and hired me to write blog posts for him and has been referring me to other people ever since. Um, and some of the people he referred me to continue to refer me to other people and continue to hire me. So um, yeah, all those people in my, my life who continue to, to spread the good word, uh, I'm super grateful for. Thanks for joining us this week for Gratitude Geek, the relationship marketing podcast, helping micropreneurs 
find your micro-influencer magic. Be sure to check the show notes at gratitudegeek.com episode 107 to links to all the groovy resources mentioned today. And while you're there, why not subscribe to the show on Audible, iTunes, Stitcher, or any of your favorite podcast players. There is a one-click link for that. Our theme music is Track 14 by Rev Rock and Solily. I've been your host, Candice Rodarty. Join me on my mission to spread gratitude, sow seeds of appreciation, and harvest a bounty of generosity and kindness. Stay groovy, my friends. <laughs>